welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I am super excited to present my guest today. I had the wonderful opportunity to visit Cartoon Network and speak with the executive producer and creator of We Bear Bears, Daniel Chong. Now, Daniel has an amazing story. If you've ever wanted to be inspired, if you've ever wanted to know what it takes to make it in this industry, if you wanted to know why perseverance is so vitally important, then Daniel's story is for you. What I especially liked about speaking with Daniel was that he talked about how he set goals for himself and how he really thought about what path he wanted his career to take. He didn't just focus on the current job at hand, he took the long view of really thinking about where he wanted to be, what he wanted to do, and how he was going to get there. And that's a valuable lesson that all of us can take to heart, no matter what aspect of the industry we want to work in. And he also discusses in depth what it's like to run a show and the different facets of running a show, getting everything together, getting the team together, and being able to manage the team. And I just want to give a heads up to everybody that Cartoon Network is an awesome studio. It's also right next to the Burbank Fire Department and the Burbank Police Department. And a couple of times during the interview, we did hear the sirens go off. Tried to cut that out as much as I could, but there are a few times we're going to hear sirens. Fortunately, you are still going to be able to hear the questions that were asked, and you'll be able to hear Daniel's response. But I just wanted to give everybody a heads up. So without further ado, I present episode 20 interview with Daniel Chong. Hello everyone. So my guest today is Daniel Chong and he is no stranger to the world of animation. He has worked at studios such as Disney, Pixar, Illumination, and Nickelodeon. And currently he is the executive producer and creator of We Bear Bears for Cartoon Network. Daniel, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I always love to start with origin stories, where you came from, how you got into this crazy industry. So where are you from? I more or less grew up in Orange County, so south of here in L.A., and went to college at Cal State Long Beach first. I got a degree in illustration. I didn't realize animation was a job until I needed a job. So after I graduated, or pretty close to when I was about to graduate, I found out about CalArts, and it seemed like all these really famous people had come out of it and people who had made things that I loved. So I, I just went there and uh, worked really hard and I was there for two years and eventually got a training program. I got into a training program at Disney where you just kind of would uh, get mentors at Disney and then they, you would go through a story, story training process where they'd give you a bunch of assignments and then they would critique them. And after that, we everyone, there were like, I think six or seven people in that training program and we all kind of got jobs after that at different projects. And that's kind of where my career started at Disney. So that's kind of how my career began. All right. And how did you know that story was the route that you wanted to take? Yeah, it's a great question. When I was, I didn't know that, especially even going to CalArts, I think uh, coming from an illustration major, I think the only thing that pops in your head is I guess I can be a designer or a person who just character designs because that's probably one of the funnest parts. But um, it wasn't until I, I actually got a internship at here at Cartoon Network on Powerpuff Girls when I was at CalArts. So I did that like my second year that I was, so I'd go to school, you know, at night and then I'd kind of do an internship kind of in the daytime in the morning. 
And it was only then when I was able to see all the different departments and what everyone did and sort of what the responsibilities were. And I saw what story people were doing, you know, they were you know, on Powerpuff Girls, you know, they're just given a little outline and they get to write everything. They get directed, they get to basically manage this whole episode themselves in a big way. And I realized like, that's what I wanted because I loved comic strips. I loved, you know, I, I grew up with like Calvin Hobbes, Garfield, Farsad, and I loved, mm -hmm. you know, how to pace out a gag. And I loved, you know, making people laugh and, and I loved drawing. So it kind of combined and movies, I love the movies. So I loved combining all these things into one thing. And that's kind of why story just kind of popped out as me as the perfect choice. So once I realized I wanted to do story, everything I was doing, I was just storyboarding constantly. You know, when, as I was in um, CalArts, I just, I just focused on the storyboard class. That's all I cared about was just doing all those assignments, getting feedback as much as I could, talking to people, the story artists here at Cartoon Network when I was an intern. And then that's kind of just what fed me and how I was able to pick up the skills that I needed to, you know, or to just get a job, to be good enough to get a job at least. That's excellent. And what were some of those skills that you realized once you were interning, you saw, oh, this is what I need to focus on. This is what I need to learn. Yeah. I mean, I think when you first start storyboarding, there are like a lot of basic things that you just don't know. Like, when do I cut? What is a good cut? You know, do I not, you don't want to cut from this shot to this shot. Like, what's a more dynamic way to do it? And how to express, how to uh, tell jokes, you know, and how to pace them out and, you know, how to plus ideas. And also, also the other thing that a lot of people take for granted is taking other people's notes and knowing how to implement them, you know, and uh, not just doing it because someone's telling you to do it, but finding a way to utilize it in your own way. So I think um, all those skills are definitely things you have to learn along the way, but I think I picked them up as I was interning and as I was like um, in school. So I mean, it definitely wasn't perfect when I got out and I'm still not, but it definitely just getting some basics there was enough for me to get into the training program. And then once I got into the training program, I mean, they, they really whipped you into shape. So what was the journey like then once you were done with the Disney training program, yeah. what happened next? So it's funny, after the training program, uh, it's funny, we all, we sat around this phone and we all waited for someone to call us, like who was oh, no. going, it was like a reality show. <laughs> and uh, some of us got onto a really awesome, sh you know, we all, it was, we were all happy to get jobs, but you know, we had definitely had projects we wanted to get on and we all just got dispersed to different projects. And uh, I was lucky enough to get onto this project called American Dog, which is a project that never got made, but it was Chris Sanders' second movie. And uh, it was a pretty high profile picture at the time at Disney. You know, it was going to be, it was a very expensive movie and it was a very, a very bold movie. Um, it didn't quite come to fruition. And I think when the Pixar merger happened um, with Disney, um, John Lester was kind of like not really feeling it. So he kind of put the kibosh on it and they repackaged it into Bolt. So I spent like about two years on on American Dog and it just, you know, all that work just kind of went out the window and I got a bolt and, you know, it, it was what it does. And it's, we took about, I spent about a year boarding on that. And then uh, I got to work a little bit on Princess and the Frog as like visual development. I didn't board on it, but I just kind of come in with gag ideas and stuff like that. But after that, um, Disney was in a weird place. You know, they, I think they were still trying to figure out when the merger happened. I think they were still trying to figure out who they were and what kind of movies they wanted to make. And I think they were trying to figure out too who was going to be the next leaders to come mm -hmm. in that group. And, and so I ended up getting laid off after like four years at Disney because they just didn't have enough work and enough things for me to go on to. And, and frankly, I really didn't know what I wanted to do there anymore either. So I wasn't like super jazzed about anything. So after that, I moved on to Blue Sky and I did like three months there and I uh, wasn't really feeling it. So I just moved on and... 
I think it was around that time when I realized I wanted to start pitching ideas for TV shows. So right after I left Blue Sky, I started pitching a project that uh, I was pitching. I pitched all the networks. I pitched to Cartoon Network, to Nickelodeon, to um, Disney, and then eventually I went to Nickelodeon and they, they picked it up. So at least they optioned it. So I started developing it there. And so while I was doing that, I was working at other studios. And around that time, too, that that was happening, Pixar eventually called and hired me. Let's go back a little bit because yeah. you know, there's a couple of different things, good nuggets in there. That yeah, there, there are some somewhere. parallel storylines too and a lot of overlapping. So it's hard for me to chronologically talk about my career because um, at the same time there was this feature career happening. There was a TV career happening at the same time and it all overlapped over each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, and because you, when you pitch a show, you're never doing that full time or rarely because it's, it, you're not going to make enough money to support yourself so you always have to do it while you're doing something else so there's that's why there's like these parallel timelines that's excellent we'll, we'll definitely get yeah. into that but i want to go back because you were talking about american dog and i remember hearing about that project yeah. and seeing some of the concept art and how it became bolt how did you deal with working on something since that was the first you know project you'd ever worked on that ended up getting shelled and then turned into something else how did you feel about that? And then how were you able to just basically emerge from the ashes of that and keep going? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, definitely hard for, it was weird for the story team because, you know, we had worked so hard on it and then suddenly a new director comes in, a new executive producer. And the weird thing is like the idea was kind of the same, you know, it was the same conceit about this dog who, you know, was, um, had been on this TV show and didn't know about the outside world. But we were like repackaging it into some other kind of, movie so it was really a bizarre thing for all of us and um yeah a lot of us couldn't get out out of our headspace where we'd been for the last two years and mm -hmm. what we thought that the movie could have been you know eventually I, I guess in hindsight you can i would probably say it was the right choice to do whether you like bolt or not i mean i think american dog had a lot of promise but i think we just uh, couldn't it was just it was too crazy of a story maybe and it was just too hard of a you know, not to crack at the time. And we just, and we definitely got plenty of chances to try to make it work. And I think the more that we tried to ground it and make it something that would exist in the Disney world, in the Disney sort of feature animation world, I think the more it felt like we were taking away what was great about it, which is there was a bit of anarchy and weirdness about it that might not have been the best for Disney. So unfortunately that, that version had to disappear and go away. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. And it definitely it being my first job, it sucks, you know, and, and it, but it harshens the, or it makes the realities of the feature world very clear, you know, it's like you can definitely get on a movie and it can all go away, you know, after two years of work and, you know, you might have nothing to show for it. And that's the tough thing about feature. And one of the reasons why I think TV for me right now is, is much more satisfying because in feature, it just takes A, so long to make a movie and B, it's like, you don't, sometimes it, you know, after all that work, it just goes away because they keep remaking the same movie over and over again. You know, Pixar was the same thing. And in TV, it's like, you just have to, you just do it. You just make it and it just happens. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, whether it's ready to go out or not, it just goes out. So it's due. So here it yep, is. Exactly. Hope it turned out okay. Yeah. So, I mean, for better or worse, I, I think I prefer <laughs> that right now in this part of my life just because it feels... I just want to make things, you know, and I just want things to exist. And uh, in feature, it's a risk. You don't always get the benefit of that. All right, so let's move ahead then to when you started pitching. So you talked about yeah. how realizing that you may be working on a project for a couple of years and yeah. then it'll go away. Was that one of the reasons why you decided, I want to go into television? Or were there 
a lot of other reasons for yeah, wanting to go into TV. That's one of them. I would say the frustration at that point in my career was that I realized I couldn't control what project I was going to get on. And I knew that most of that looking into the future at different studios, I knew that there was nothing that was really exciting me. And part of me was just like, I don't think I can count on the studio system right now to provide me with projects that I'm going to enjoy and things that are going to challenge me the way I want to be challenged. So I just felt I just have to kind of take control of my own career and just try to make something myself. Because I, I knew that I had ideas and I knew I had stuff I wanted to do and, and I didn't want to wait around. And also just thinking about the feature film world and the way that those movies work, you know, they're such big budget movies. There's very little chance that they're going to give a person at my age at that time a chance to direct something or even get to do something for myself because there's just too much at stake. You know, it's so expensive. It's millions. It's like, uh, you know, 100 plus million dollars, $200 million now it's, or more to make a movie. So they're not going to give it to some kid who's like five years out of school or someone who just doesn't have the experience, you know. And I think about age all the time, and especially because when I was at Disney, I saw a lot of like the older regime, the older story artists, you know, just kind of phase away. You know, their careers just dissipate because um, nobody wanted to use them anymore. So it got me really worried about that too. So I was like, okay, I'm in my, I think around that time, I was like in my third, like I just turned 30 or something like that. So I realized I have to do something to take control of my career. And so at that point, that's when I realized the only thing I could do right now is pitch shows because they were giving, because shows were, People, they were greenlighting shows for people who just came out of school. Classmates of mine were getting shows like Penn and JG, and they were all doing great and doing their own shows, and they were giving so much creative, given so much creative freedom. And I realized, like, this is the only shot I'll have to make something of my own right now. So that was kind of the impetus for stepping into this world. That's smart that you analyze that, because I feel like a lot of people just think, I just want to work, but they don't think about the longevity of their career yeah. and where they eventually want to end up and what they want their legacy to be. Yeah. I mean, I didn't either. When I was at Disney, and, and when you're at Disney, a place like Disney, you get really comfortable, or Pixar, you know? It's a, it's a nice company, you know, you get a silver pass, you can go to Disneyland yeah. time and time you want. Um, they've got like a, a food court there, you know, and they, they lavish you with Disney things and, and you tell people you work at Disney and they want to hug you. It's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, it's a great thing, you know, mm -hmm. and you can get comfortable at a studio like that. And I kind of thought that that's what would, I would do, you know, when I got that job at Disney when I was, um, when I ran out of college, or when I was in college, I, I think I thought that that was what my career was going to be. I was just going to be a Disney guy. But I guess they made the decision for me that we didn't want you there. <laughs> so I, so the minute they let me go, I think that sort of started the bigger picture thinking, I think, which was, I think, in the long run, a better thing for me, you know. You know, there are people who stay 20 years at a studio and are totally fine with it. They have their families to look after. Work becomes lesser priority or they get to direct. And I think that's great for them. Um, but it wasn't in my cards. So I had to adjust what my future was going to be and I had to take control of it. That's really smart. And so you started the pitch process. So what was that like? How did you go about finding which studios were taking pitches and then putting together the types of materials you needed to have a pitch? From what I had known, and I was correct, was that uh, most studios want to hear pitches. I mean, you might not get to the person who really makes decisions, but you can always be heard, especially if you're already in the industry and you have connections, like you knew somebody who can get you a meeting. 
most studios want to hear pitches because I think they want ideas, you know. So it wasn't too hard for me to get through the door. I just wanted to, I made like one call to a friend and he hooked me up with like names for all the different studios. So um, when I went to Cartoon Network, they already had, were having this program called the Cartoon Institute at the time. And so um, I easily got a meeting because I had known somebody. But when I pitched to them, you know, I, I didn't know how, you're right, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to pitch. So I just kind of did a storyboard of this character that I created. And when I finished pitching to them, you know, it, they told me it looked too, it was too young for, for Cartoon Network at the time. They said it, it looked like a kid's show or a little, little kid's show. And they were looking for what eventually they ended up picking up was like regular show or something like that. Oh, okay. Or I think they had picked up regular show already. So they were probably looking for things more in that vein at the time. When I showed it to Disney, they were like, well, we're looking for, and this was at the time, so this was like years, like five, six, more than that, years ago when I pitched it. Disney at the time, when I pitched them the same idea, they told me, oh, we're looking for something more girl-centric. We're also looking for shows that have the characters in school so kids can relate to them more and dating in the show. <laughs> and you're just like, ah. That's yeah. not quite what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, some people, I'm sure they'll they'll rejigger their stuff, but yeah, I got a feeling like, eh, I don't think you're feeling our pitch. <laughs> so, and I had a partner at the time who I was pitching with, a friend of mine. But when I went to Nickelodeon, they embraced it immediately, and they were like, "This is perfect for us. This is exactly what we're looking for." So um, they picked it up immediately, and and it was it was the same, more or less the same. Well, I think I rejiggered the pitch a little bit at that point. You know, every time, every process I pitched, I think I shifted it a little bit more and, and kind of nuanced it a little bit better. But by the time I pitched Nickelodeon, I think it was it was a pretty decently packaged pitch with just character designs and expressing who the characters were, knowing how to engage somebody into the world. I mean, that's kind of the the key to the pitch is like really investing people in the characters and getting to the point quickly, you know, not pitching a lot of ancillary things that don't really pertain to like the main point of the story and just showing that you know, there, there's a lot of fun in this world. So... Um, yeah, at that point, I think we had a pretty refined pitch, and yeah, they bought it. It was great. So what happened with that pitch? So they bought it, and then... <laughs> it's a long story. Uh, the, the, short, the short of it is that I was in development for about three or four, three to four years on it. I made two pilots. So I, I made a 2D pilot first, and they didn't end up picking anything that year to pick up for some reason. And, but they liked the pitch still, and they were like, well, just do it again. Do make another one. So at the time, I was like, you know, I didn't really have a great experience on the first pilot because I kind of kind of got the sense that the studio wasn't really interested in 2D stuff. Like, in, there were some 2D shows happening, but they didn't seem like they had the support for a 2D system there. So I ended up just doing it. I was like, okay, let's make it a 3D show now. And they had so much support there for 3D because they were making all these DreamWorks shows there and they were making Ninja Turtles. So they had so many great 3D artists there and in-house people who could help me make this pilot. So I ended up doing a 3D pilot. And it just, it would just, it just lingered on forever. It took forever. And, you know, the worst thing about developing for that long is sometimes executives get fired. As we were doing the first pilot, our, um, the executive who had shepherded us got laid off, fired, whatever you want to say. And uh, suddenly we were getting tossed around. And I'm pretty sure the way that it works is, you know, the minute you get your project, the person who was helping you gets fired nobody's really that interested anymore because it's dirty that. laundry, you know? It's like, it's like, this is somebody else's idea, you know? It's not our idea. So, I mean, Nickelodeon was still, they still put the money into helping us make that second pile and stuff, but I could tell that they were in a stage where they were trying to figure some other stuff out too. So I think 
it, it was messy in a lot of ways, but the, the credit I give to Nickelodeon is giving me the shot, the chance to do it, because all the mistakes I made at Nickelodeon, I completely like learned <laughs> and made very few mistakes on the, you know, when I pitched here at Cartoon Network. So it was a great experience, and I experienced a lot through that whole process. That's excellent. And so while you were there pitching for Nickelodeon, were you working full-time at Nickelodeon or were you working at Pixar or one of the other studios at the time? I was working everywhere. Oh, yeah, okay. a little, there was a crossover at Pixar for sure. And there was there was crossover. I worked at Illumination a little bit while I was there. I also did take some time off from work to work on the pilot because it was just so much work at the end as I was getting close to try, trying to ship it to Korea because that's where everything's animated. So I think at the end of, for two months or three months, I think I just took time off work to just work full-time on the pilot, just to finish it up and get it right. And while you were working on the pilot and the other studios, I mean, were there NDAs you had to sign or did you have to meet with your managers and say, by the way, I'm creating the show for this other network? I mean, what kind of... Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a touchy subject. I, I definitely did send, before I got into like the studios, I usually, it's kind of like a... Isn't it contract or a, a sort of document that says like these things belong to me and mm -hmm. like I'm these things are like exempt from the studio and stuff like that behind the scenes I would say definitely you know as long as you don't shout about it and tell people about it yeah. it's fine to do don't have events. the artwork in your cube and say yeah. by the way I'm doing this on the weekends and exactly and don't do it on the company dime definitely yeah. you know, don't get caught doing it I mean I know a lot of people just to do it and, and it's fine but Disney definitely would not like it <laughs> but a lot of people do it they just They'll just don't talk about it. But yeah, that's kind of the situation with doing it while I'm working other places. Okay. And how did you balance out your time since you were working on multiple projects and having to make sure that, you know, the work is stellar no matter where you were at? My first round at Pixar, because I got laid off there too, and then I came back to Pixar. My first round at Pixar was rough, and I was not prepared for the level of expectation at Pixar when I first got there. And I was also on a project that I didn't fit well. I was on Cars 2 and it, it didn't didn't fit me very well. So I struggled a lot on that movie and at the studio in general, you know, when you first step in there, it's like everything's under scrutiny and you're oh, trying yeah. to make a good impression. But I, I was just floundering on that project and they, they eventually took me off. They're like, yeah, we know you're not good on this, so go away. <laughs> I eventually got on a uh, much less demanding project um, after that. It was uh, cars, like car shorts. That was a little easier for me, um, and I got along with the director a little bit better. But yeah, it was hard to manage, and I, I basically, once I started the job Pixar, I realized I can't, and the timing of the, the short, of this work in Nickelodeon, it wasn't as demanding, so I was able to just put it aside for a while while I was at, while I was at Pixar, and just focus on Pixar stuff. And I had to because it was just so such a different culture to me from all the other studios I'd worked at. And the level of talent at Pixar, I mean, as you can understand, is mm -hmm. just really high. So I just had to really step up my game, catch up, and uh, figure out how I can manage mm -hmm. this job first and foremost. Because that was what was paying my you know, rent, you know? So I had to do, I had to succeed at that job first and foremost. Yeah. What were some of the things that you did in order to just, you know, step it up and improve your game with what you were doing? Just worked a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and you definitely build relationships with other people and you show them stuff, get feedback from people before you do a you know, before you, the thing you can do as a story artist always is just get feedback from the people, your peers and stuff and, and get, get notes from them, try to fine tune it as much as you can before you pitch something to the director. 
And uh, obviously it's on me to decide which notes are pertinent, but just getting some of that feedback early on was, was helpful. And I had a lot of friends that were supporting me and trying to help me survive. But they knew I wasn't doing well, but they, they tried their best to support me. And uh, that was great of them. That's really good. It's good to know like what you were doing well and what you weren't doing well so that you can improve. Because I feel like a lot of times artists kind of bury that. They're like, I don't want anyone to know, so I just won't tell anybody that I'm struggling. And then meanwhile, uh, they're like slowly dying on the inside. And that's yeah. not... It's not a good way to go. It's good to just seek out assistance and just, you know, work really hard. Yeah, for story especially, you know, it's such a collaborative thing and it's a complicated thing, you know, storyboarding. is You're managing a lot of different things, you know, and it's really a job that it takes age and experience a lot, a lot of time. You know, as from my experience and seeing the people coming into story and even myself, it takes time to really nurture the skill in being good at story and, and you just have to keep working at it and getting feedback and learning and building up new, new skills constantly. Absolutely. It's a tough job. Yeah. So now, getting to We Bear Bears. Sure, yeah. How did that come about? Well, after my pilot at Nickelodeon fizzled, you know, I took a month month or two off and just kind of reassessed, you know, because you know, that, was, that was a tough thing, doing a pilot for four years or the same pilot for four years and it just kind of going nowhere. And I was just reassessing what I wanted to do with my career. And yet again, I looked at what was happening at the time in animation. And it still felt like TV was the place that was only, was going to afford me the best opportunities to do stuff. So I knew I didn't want to pitch Nickelodeon again. And Disney didn't quite feel the right fit for me either. Probably maybe because of the history too that I've had with them. So, and I was really happy to actually come back to Cartoon Network and pitch them something just because I'd been here before. And, and so I had some contacts and I reached out to Cartoon Network and I did the pitch and it all just kind of, it was such a smooth ride. I can't even explain. There was, there was like no drama involved in the whole process of making this pilot. It was created and picked up in a very smooth linear line and within the course of, I think, like a year. And it was a really fun pilot to make too. So... But I, I, like I said, you know, I think I learned a lot from Nickelodeon's that process and failing a lot in a lot of that situation. And uh, I think when I kind of came to work here on Bears, it, I, I just knew exactly how to, to do this pilot. I knew how to execute it. I knew how to talk to the artists and I knew how to, what I wanted more. What were some of the things that you learned? I mean, 2D animation is a totally different animal. You know, I'd never worked in... I mean, obviously I've made student films when I tell arts, but it was all just, um, my career had been mostly feature films. So I had to learn the 2D process a little bit more. I had to learn like a certain way to board that facilitate it being animated career. But I think also learning how to create interesting characters and characters that people respond to, you know, that's a skill that even some story artists work in wherever, how many long years they worked on. It's, it's a different skill, you know, to learn how to, create your own character and build them out of nothing and give them, create a world that they can inhabit and something believable and something that people can invest in. And also just writing a story, you know, that's something that, you know, story artists, some things don't have to do, you know, a lot of times they just get, we just get scripts and we just kind of execute from there. But to come up with your own idea, your story and writing and stuff like that, so it's, it's a different thing. So and uh, I went through a lot at Nickelodeon, just rewriting drafts and figuring out what I wanted to say. And I think when I got to Cartoon Network, it was a lot smoother. And I kind of knew a little bit how more better how to write characters and write a story. And then as far as the show itself, that came from the webcomic. And I was curious, mm -hmm. how did you get the idea for the actual comic? 
Well, the webcomic, I mean, I've told the story many times, but I've, I, I was just in, I was visiting uh, my girlfriend's family and I took her niece to um, the library and we were just doodling. So I was just messing around, trying to make her laugh, and this is what came out. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of other weird stuff that came out, but that is what she laughed at. So um, I just started developing that and, and making that into a, a comic, and I did like, I think, six or seven comics out of it. And it was nice. It was just like a side project, and, and that's something... I always had anyways, like side projects that I would do, like a Tumblr or a blog or something like that. And that was years before I ended up pitching it. So you have the comic years before you ever pitched it as a show and you were pitching other shows. So what made you decide, you know what, I should pitch this. This comic would actually make a really good idea for a show. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's I didn't have anything else at the time <laughs> to pitch. The thing I pitched at Nickelodeon, that was also an idea I'd created a while ago. So yeah, both. I guess I'm always pitching things that I had previously created, which is another good reason why I'd always have side projects. Then you always have something that you could repackage for something else if you want to. So I guess that's just always been the way it is. You know, I've, I actually have boxes at home just full of just doodles and stuff and random things. And um, who knows, you know, someday that could become something too. So Bears was just something that was, it felt very obvious because, you know, I had three characters and I had a really nice visual about them stacked on top of each other so it just felt like an easy thing to be like okay well I think that could be something. So then once that was done so you pitched it you developed it how did you go about finding the team that you wanted to be on the show like how much involvement did you have with picking the voice cast and the storyboard artists and the directors mm -hmm. and writers and how much of that was Cartoon Network saying hey we have these people you should meet them and interview them. Overall, I mean, Cartoon Network, it's like they've been very hands-off in terms of forcing me to do anything or to hire anybody in particular. And, and they definitely are there as a support to provide different names to help me, especially if there's um, more higher positions that I might not know anybody. They definitely will give me options and people that I can interview and talk to, but nothing has really been forced to me to hire. I was able, and especially when it came to story, story artists. I, I knew there was some, there was a very specific skill set I wanted from those artists, especially being a story artist myself. I knew I wanted people who I had a lot of stuff in common with and I really admired their work. So it was a long journey just trying to find story artists, but it all kind of came together slowly. The first person we ended up hiring, her name was Madeline Sharafian, and she, I had seen her student film online and I loved it. I adored it. She's one of those people that just immediately, I kind of saw that she understood how to storyboard and she knew how to do characters. She knew how to create interesting stories. So I, um, I hired her as a character designer because I did, when I was a pilot, when I did my pilot, and then eventually I just said, why don't you board an episode when we were, before we got picked up because they, the studio had asked us to board two episodes before it got picked up. And then right after that, you know, she had just, she was ready to leave school. So I was like, just come aboard, just work with us, please. <laughs> and then from there, she, she helped, connect me with some of the other people in her class that were talented and so we ended up hiring a couple of people based on her suggestion and the rest were a lot of it was just tests so the the studio has like a talent recruiter and then they just get names and they just shoot me like tumblers and it's like I just click on them and just say oh that person looks interesting why don't you give them a test and so we got a couple of people through tests and stuff like that too so now that you're executive producer showrunner doing all these different things what are some of the skills that you've learned now that you're in this position working on a show that you didn't know before when you were a storyboard artist? The TV world in regards to storyboarding 
is very different. And I didn't realize how different it was until I started doing this. I thought I knew when I was an intern here that it was going to be different, but I found it to be so different in a big way, largely because the board artists here, their work is so important in the translation to animation. It becomes almost like a layout drawing. Cause, and sometimes when we see the animation studio just drawing right over their storyboards, mm. you would never run into that problem in Feature. In Feature, you know, they have a whole layout department to like mm. help resolve a lot of the issues you have <laughs> in the story. So really in, in Feature, it's just, you're just giving an impression of what the scene should be. And then they almost reboard it in, um, in layout. And, and when you see the animation, it's like the idea is the same, but it's like shot choices are completely different based on whatever. Maybe the BG didn't hook up or maybe they, they redesigned something. So now the camera has to be somewhere else. So they completely, uh, so story artists don't have to worry about those kind of concerns as it moves down the pipeline. In, in TV, the harsh reality we had to learn was that the board artist has a lot of responsibilities in making sure everything hooks up, every prop hooks up, every movement, you know, hooks up from one shot to the other. And everything is accounted for. Even they have to write in like every some movements, you know, like he's gonna move this arm now here. Mm-hmm. I mean it's not they're not timers, but it it's somewhere halfway where they have to almost describe a lot of things within the board. And they have to draw clean because if they draw way too off model, sometimes the, the overseas studio might not be able to understand what the what the expression is. It's just a lot of work. And, the, and our board artists, on top of that, they have to write. They, they're only given an outline, so they have to come up with, this, with the, the shot progression and also the dialogue. It's, it's a lot. And obviously a lot of that will fall on me as an executive producer to, if they aren't able to do or to tell them to make sure they do those things mm-hmm. or to catch them as if, they, if it gets missed down the line. That was one of the hardest things that I had to learn <laughs> like coming in. I mean, there, there are other things too, like uh, you can't make the episode too big, you can't have this many backgrounds, you can't have this many characters. Never had that problem in feature, but in TV, it's like, oh. Did you initially have some stories where like, we're going to have this massive crowd, and then realizing, yeah. okay, no. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, our first two episodes have tons of crowds in them. Our first one had a parade in it, you know, and it was just, uh, we didn't realize that the overseas studio would die if, if we kept doing this. <laughs> And our poor character designers were drawing all these incidental characters and and they had to almost have an intervention with me, like, listen, we can't do this. This is not this is not sustainable for a TV show. So it was a harsh lesson because, you know, obviously I, I want the show to be different and I want it to feel very textured. It takes place in the city. You know, I want it to feel cinematic. And so sometimes it involves a lot of those things, just crowds and lots of locations, but I, we've slowly been learning how to scale back the show, make it more reasonable <laughs> and in terms of how we make it. And But it's been a learning, long, learning process for all of us. And the show itself, I mean, I love the show. It has a Thanks. lot of heart Thank and you. a lot of depth, which is very important. What I like about a lot of the current shows happening now is they're for adults and kids and sure. they don't talk down the kids, which I feel yeah. is very important. And I just want to know you know, where that comes from on a personal level and how you decided that this was the tone that we wanted for the show. Yeah, I mean, I think the taste of this show comes out of my experience, no question, of working at Disney and Pixar. I think being able to sit in the meetings, brain trust meetings, and hearing how they talk about story and decisions they make about story and what they focus on and how they get to the heart of things and how they are able to execute a character and make him make that make a character interesting 
these are all things that I think I definitely carry into the show and I think have informed a lot of the decisions that I make, you know, here on the show. But yeah, I think it's really great. I think the, especially the studio, I think they tend to not worry too much about is this relatable to children or is this something that a child will understand? They don't mind. They basically, but essentially what it comes down to is they just are letting the creators and the artists at the studio make something that means something to them. And, you know, we're all adults, so we're making things that relate to us. And luckily kids are, are also relating to it, but probably because we're saying things that are universal and, 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 you know, will translate to all ages and stuff and cultures too. So, um, I think that's a great thing that the network has done, and I really applaud what Cartoon Network's been doing lately in like just letting the creators run free. And you know, and I've seen the other side of it. You know, I've seen what it's like to have a studio overnote you and just give you tons of notes and try mm-hmm. to control you, and it's it's not fun, and you definitely lose your authorship in a big way. But here, I don't feel that at all, and I think that's one of the reasons why these kind of shows can exist. That's excellent. And then on a personal level, how are you able to balance your time and spend time with your family and friends and work on personal projects? Or does that kind of go by the wayside when you're in the crunch of things? Yeah, it was a big problem. And I have a girlfriend and we struggled a lot trying to deal with my schedule. I can be a kind of a control freak, especially when when we first started, because I need to tell everybody what this show is and I need to be everywhere to make sure that my voice is being heard and they're, everyone's constantly telling me to delegate, but I'm like, I, there's a certain level that I can't. And especially when it comes to like story matters and writing, it's like, I, I have to be as involved as I can to make sure I set the stage correctly for this show. Cause if I, if I start letting, being a little bit hands off too early, the show will get out of my hands. And I, there were some story stories where I tried taking a step back and mm-hmm. seeing if it would just kind of write itself and it wouldn't, the ship mm-hmm. wouldn't write itself. And so I would just have to jump back in and be like, okay, I gotta, we gotta redo this. We gotta make this how I'm mm-hmm. thinking. And it, it was a tough thing because I'm not at home a lot and weekends I would work every weekend and I'd be in either an editorial or I'd be writing or I'd be fixing a storyboard. And that was my early part of the season for sure. But now it's, we've hit a stride. I think, you know, we're in our second season now or we're starting our second season, at least in storyboarding and, and writing. And uh, it's gotten a lot better. It's, um, it's we've, we've learned, I think we know the characters better. That helps. We know the tone of the show a little better. It helps. And, and the writers, um, I think they've, they understand sort of what I'm looking for a little bit more. And uh, my director, Manny Hernandez, he came from Pixar too. And so he learned very quickly to like what I'm looking for. And now sometimes he can just look over storyboards and I won't have to look, look at it for a couple of weeks until he's done his pass with it. And, and I'm at home a lot more now on the weekends. <laughs> So um, I would say the first year, the first season was really rough, really, really rough. The only thing I can equate it to is my time at KelArts when I was making a student film. I mean, it, you're under as much pressure as you want to be when you're at KelArts. You know, some people don't make films, so they don't stress out. But I was really stressed out, and I really wanted a job when I was at KelArts, so I worked constantly trying to make this film. And it felt a little bit like that when I first started working on, on the show. The only difference is there are other people's jobs on the line too, yeah. you know, and I've got to look after these people. Mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to talk to them and communicate with them. And I have to um, do more than one episode. I'm not just doing one short. I'm doing like six, seven or more episodes at one time. In terms of balance, it was imp- almost impossible for me to deal with it. My first season, 
now it, there's a little bit more time and but whenever I have time now it's it's to spend with family and, and or my girlfriend or my, my parents or whoever or friends so there's really no time right now for side projects yet but I would like to get back into stuff and write other things and but right now my world still has to focus on this whenever I can all right and since you're working on this you know working hard and getting everything together have yeah. you had mentors or other people at Cartoon Network or other creators where you've been able to sit down and say okay here's the issue I'm having with the show how did you handle this issue on your show how have you been able to deal with those types of things um, when I first started, uh, I definitely I met with JG, who runs regular show. We were classmates, so we, we sat down. He told me everything <laughs> that he could tell me, and I was classmates with Penn Ward too. It was my adventure time, and I sat down with him a couple times, and he was great. These guys were awesome. They I hadn't touched talked with them in years, and they they were so gracious and gave me a lot of time to tell me their the trying things they struggled with and the problems they had in their first season and what I should do on certain things and they gave some really good advice. That was probably the most direct advice I got in relation to this job. But you know, we I definitely have some people here that are more experienced than me and have been through it. My supervising uh, producer, his name's Randy Myers, he actually helped me get the internship at Powerpuff Girls and now he oh, is wow. my supervising producer. So he's been through it all. He's been, he worked on Dexter's and uh, Samurai Jack and just all these tons of shows and so he, brought with him a wealth of knowledge that if I ever have a question, I could just ask him. And my art director, is, he's been in the industry for a very long time, Tony Pullum, so he's definitely someone I can ask to if I have any problems. And he manages the whole art department and makes that, that whole department run super smooth. I don't worry about that department ever. The only time I have to really worry is when my, the episodes get too big or I make the episodes too big, and then they have to tell me to scale things down. That's the only time it becomes a little difficult, but. Otherwise, Tony runs that department so well, and it just it runs so smooth. I don't worry about it. It's great. What do you think is going to be next for you? I mean, I know you're heading into season. You said um, two. season two right yeah. now is going on. So, anything you have planned for the future? I know that you have future projects you'd like to get into. Yeah, perhaps. I can't think too far ahead right now, and I haven't been able to for a while. I guess the goal is always to just. Um, run this ship a little smoother and try to delegate as much as I can. And eventually, hopefully I can start letting this, letting the people run itself into some degree. So I can mm -hmm. kind of just be there to sort of help make certain decisions, but not, mm -hmm. I don't have to make all of them. So slowly the goal is to get to that place at some point. And I think it's, it can get there. I can see it. As long as we don't lose people, which that has been happening, <laughs> we lose people constantly. And TV is seems to be that a lot more than feature, and it sucks because you know when you have certain people in certain positions, you sort of build a system that's working really smoothly and it's working really well. But then I think people move around a lot on TV, you know, and they they find better jobs or they want to try something else, and and there's a lot of opportunities all over the place. So. Uh, we, we've lost a lot of good people on our project, uh, not because they weren't happy with us, but just because, mm -hmm. you know, other opportunities. But, just you know, the nature of television. Yeah, it's just the nature of it, I think. That that has inhibited it a little bit, and inhibited me from feeling, getting comfortable. <laughs> but, um, yeah, once we settle into that, I mean, I, I think there was a proposal for me to write a book for, this pro for the project, the first book they'll publish for Bears, which I think I want to do, if I, if I can. Yeah, my girlfriend, um, she has a project which got turned into a book and got published by Chronicle. 
Uh, it's called My Milk Tooth. And I think we'd like to pitch that at some point into a show. And I think it can be very easily. She's, she's already had offers to, to create it, but I think she wants to wait for me to um, kind of free up a little bit more so I can help mm-hmm. her with it. But yeah, I'd like to write more, I guess, write, do more books. I think after my Nickelodeon thing fizzled out, I, I was thinking about maybe getting to publishing and trying to write children's books and stuff like that. And I still love to do that, so... And what advice do you have for anyone who's thinking of, they have an idea for a show or yeah. thinking, you know, television, what advice do you have for them? I mean, this might sound like an old fogey, but I really do think having worked in the industry a little bit before getting the show helped a whole lot. And I've only heard of really r- difficult things for a lot of creators who hadn't worked it, or who just got a show right away and, and didn't really have the benefit of a couple years of uh, working in the industry. Uh, before they got their show but you know there's definitely people who are exceptions I'm sure but but it sounds like at least from my experience I I definitely see the merit in getting some experience before getting a show so I would say working in the industry a little bit or refining at least something (laughs) like some craft whether it's character design or story definitely story I I only if you wanted a show I would say story is the path to go you'd have to learn how to storyboard because the writing is everything you know and and being able to execute the storyboard is it's such a big part of this process for me I got a really awesome art director and he can handle everything on the art side I don't even think about it but story it's like such a specific thing it's such a thing that can go haywire so many different ways and the fact that story is what I studied it's what I have been trained to do. I think I'm able to control this, that aspect as best, you know, the best of my ability. And uh, it, I think it makes the show run smoother because of that. So I would say, if, and, and if you look at all the people who've had shows, especially at Cartoon Network, I mean, most of them were story artists. And I think there's a reason for that. That skill set lends itself to being able to run a show. So yeah, if you want a show, I would say uh, become a story artist and, or think about story at least, you know, and learn something about the story. Okay, and also one last question too. On the people yeah. side, how did you learn how to manage a team? Because everyone has their own opinion on what they want to do yeah. and their own skill sets, and some people might be really quiet and some people might be louder. And how do you manage all those different personalities and different people so that everyone's going in the same direction? When it comes to like your story team, which are probably going to be the most vocal people you're going to have to deal with in terms of like the writing and the, the work. You just have to lead by example the best you can. And, you know, I think I tried to hire people that I felt would fit the show as best I can. I think in feature, there's more a tendency to end up working with people who might not get along with you because they kind of just grab a bunch of people who are good at a lot of different things. And then some people just get on certain projects a little bit haphazardly and personalities conflict a lot more. But I think for bears i i very meticulously picked people that i felt i was going to get along with and i knew had my taste and a lot of times in future you work with people who might not even have the taste of the movie but they're just there because they're Mm -hmm. in the studio you know so i would say i picked the crew i had and i was Mm -hmm. correct in picking them because we all get along and they all have a good rapport with each other they all get along they all like each other so I haven't had to deal with that, at least in the story department. In terms of the overall show, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are definitely some people who struggled with the show or didn't like it or, or, you know, we had to deal with stronger personalities and stuff. And 
Yeah, I don't know if I have an answer. It's just we just try to keep calm and be nice <laughs> to each other and work it out. That's mm-hmm. the best you can do. And I try my best to just assert myself as much as I can. And I always say the bears are all different facets of my personality. And definitely when I'm leading this show, I have to be grizzly. I have to be the guy who's going to be outgoing and try to be personable. It's not my normal personality, I don't think, but it's it's definitely a part of me I can I can kick in when I need to. So I don't know if that's answering your question, but I don't know if there's any pure answer to that. But that's okay. I was that's, I've just always been curious about just management because everyone has different like management skills, management right. styles, and I found that a lot of you know a lot of artists tend to be on the more shy side. Oh sure, not even yeah, necessarily. Yeah. Sometimes they're not even shy. Sometimes they're more introverted. And it's not that they don't enjoy being around people, but they may not necessarily prefer to be around 30 or 50 people. They may be more comfortable with one or two. But if you're a show creator, you have to be able to be comfortable with larger groups of people and being able to manage people and being able to tell people, here's what's going well, here's what's not going well, in a way that they can understand without people getting angry or yelling or just kind of going off the handle and still working and just for people that are shyer more Mm. quiet i've just always wondered you know how do they do that how do Um, they work that out definitely i would say the two things i would say um just to reiterate i think one thing being a story artist definitely makes you a little more extroverted i mean you have to Mm -hmm. pitch to people you have to communicate ideas constantly you have to sell ideas you have to pitch ideas you have to explain why you don't like something. So you're constantly talking as a story artist, at least in, in an environment that, you know, is collaborative. So story artists, even the most introverted story artists have to step out of their shell at a certain point and, and be a little more extroverted. The other thing I would say is uh, the experience that I've been afforded in working in the street for over 10 years before getting the show has allowed me to see how other people have run their shows or run their movies or managed me as an artist. And I know what's always bothered me, and I know what I complain about, and I know what doesn't feel good to me as an artist when when certain I'm being handled a certain way or being talked to a certain way. So I think that experience and that and the age that I'm coming into in this job has allowed me to troubleshoot certain things based on just experience and seeing it. Excellent. So that's an answer there. That's a great answer. All right. So where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter now. Learning how to use that. And uh, I don't use my Tumblr anymore, but we have a crew Tumblr. And I actually answer a lot of fans' questions on there sometimes. So it's called We Draw Bears. And yeah. I've seen it, and it's great. And you answer, you do answer everyone's questions, and you put you know, tidbits on the show and drawings and films and whatnot. Yeah, we try. It's good. Yeah, we like it. I mean, mm-hmm. our fans are awesome. They, we've, we're really happy with the, the vibe of the people who like our show and their excitement for it. So we're happy to put stuff online and talk with them about stuff. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. And that concludes my interview with Daniel Chung. Special thanks to Daniel for being such a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out his Twitter page and also the We Bear Bears Tumblr site in the show notes and also on the website. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has left a review so far. And if you would like to donate directly to the show, you can visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the Donate PayPal button on the right-hand side of the website. Every little bit helps to pay for web hosting and other technical costs. 
And thank you to everyone who has donated to the website so far. Also, make sure to support our sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Blueberry Podcast Hosting, and also Loot Crate. And remember, this month you can get a free audiobook by clicking on the banner ad for audible.com. Audible is your place to go if you've ever wanted to hear any audiobook ever online. They have thousands to choose from. And if you're going to be doing any kind of online shopping, make sure to click on the banner ad for Amazon.com. As all of you are well aware, Amazon is your place to buy everything. And if you're interested in geek and gaming gear, hats, t-shirts, keychains, all that fun stuff, make sure to check out Loot Crate. And this month they're offering $3 off on a subscription. When you type in the promo code LOOTER3, that's L-O-O-T-R-3. And if you've ever wanted to host a podcast of your very own, make sure to check out Blueberry Podcast Hosting. I've been using it for several months now, and I absolutely love it. The support is great. The podcast is going really well. I highly recommend it. And if you want to know what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation, make sure to check out all of the social media sites for the Animated Journey podcast. On Facebook, you can visit www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. On Twitter, you can follow the show at AnimJourney. On Instagram, same handle, at AnimJourney. And I've set up a Tumblr page, so make sure to check that out at www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And if you'd like to know what I've been up to, make sure to check out all of my sites on social media. My website is www.sketchysoul.com. You can check out what I've been doing on Twitter by visiting at SketchySoul. On Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram, I'm at sketchy underscore soul. So thank you all for listening. And until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.